We really want to encourage you to, to use uh, Uversion, and we're going to, uh, I'll have this ready midweek. Um, I promise that we'll have our event set up on there so you can look ahead at least at the passage of scripture that we're going to be covering and be kind of familiar with that and, and praying over our gathering and our time. And uh, so today we're going to talk about something that is uh, so important. And as I've said before, as we're, we're focusing on modern family and uh, really godly families and, and that kind of thing, that this is not exclusive in the sense of uh, if you don't have children at home or whatever, that this that you can opt out and disconnect and you don't need to listen further because this is so applicable. And especially what we're talking about today for each and every individual, every one of us, no matter where you are in life, no matter what is going on, we're going to be talking about the power of agreement and how important it is for us to be in agreement and so we're looking at, uh, and if you have your event pulled up, you'll, you have the passage there. We also will have it up uh, behind us here. Joshua chapter 24, beginning at verse 24. We'll talk a little bit about uh, more of what is uh, ahead of this reading uh, as we go through the message. But the meat of what we're going to talk about, I want to take a look at right here. Joshua chapter 24, beginning at verse 24. The people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees, uh, the decrees and regulations of the Lord. Joshua recorded these things in a book of God's instructions as a reminder of their agreement. Say with me, agreement. Agreement. He took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds today to the word of God and to what this means for us in this moment, where we need to come together in agreement. Father, how we need to make a stand looking at life generationally and not just at our particular moment. Father, how we need to understand that bringing our family together in agreement is a process and not an event, and that it is an ongoing work that we need to invite the Holy Spirit into and the church family of God uh, to surround ourselves with. We cannot do what you're asking us to do alone. We need your help. We need your family. And so we're asking for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Finding agreement can be extremely difficult and challenging for every one of us. But living in disagreement, I think we can all agree, is dangerous and disastrous. At risk when we live in disagreement is hurting the people that we love the most, creating uh, value and directional confusion for our families so that our children don't know who to listen to or uh, what is really of value and what's essential. 
At risk is, is shutting down debate in favor of victory. There are so many people that believe that what comes out of a disagreement is uh, either loss or victory. And, and so uh, they always want to be on the victorious side. And so uh, that it, we're at risk that way. We're at risk in the sense of a loss of trust and respect for one another, that we can't function as a church family, we can't function as an individual family if we lose our trust and respect for one another. There is no home that can survive where parents are living in disagreement. There's no church that can thrive where there's uh, avid disagreement among people. Getting on the same page, parenting together, functioning together as, as God has called us to, is an essential for us. We must come together in agreement. You know, I read uh, Proverbs 23 in preparation for our time together, and uh, it's, it's, it's humorous in one respect and, and uh, just zings to the heart of the matter for all of us. And it just says, it is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. <laughs> There's so much wisdom in that. It's so easy to take the counter side and to argue and to be in disagreement. And it's, it's profitable for us, it's honorable for us to stop striving and stop fighting about things and to find the place of agreement that we need to come around and especially in our walk with, with Christ. It's easy for us to get hyper-focused on the details of daily life and to forget that raising our children is a long process, right? We don't need to teach them everything today. We don't need to teach them everything while we're pushing the cart along in HEB. Every lesson doesn't have to be learned as we're going down the canned soup aisle, right? We, we have to understand that this is a long process, the teaching and, and, and learning and, and laying down the foundations for the essentials we talked about last week. It is a process we have to be committed to. We have to talk about it. We have to train it. We have to live it out on a daily basis. It's not just going to happen overnight, right? We just need to, to understand uh, that there are things that are needful for today, right? And we need to stop living as people who are committed to only the urgent. We have to move from, from being a people committed to just the urgent to people that are committed to the needful. What is needful for today? Paul wrote uh, to, to Jude in, in, that, in the passage that he addressed, Jude, Jude 1, 3. He, he wrote to the people who were um, reading this, this letter uh, some, some instructions that center around what we're talking about with the needful versus the urgent. And here's what he said in Jude 1 and 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary, needful, I found it needful to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. What is Paul saying? I want you to be careful that you don't start living in a sense of just the urgent. Everything that, that, that jumps up in your life is an urgent thing that gets your attention, gets your energy, gets your finances. He said, I want you to remember 
that there is something needful for your life, and that is to contend for the faith. If you lose this battle, you lose your family, you lose generations. You have to win this battle. You have to focus in on what is needful, not just on what is urgent and presents itself. I, I created a little diagram to give us an example of the difference between needful and urgent. Needful. Delayed gratification. Can we teach our kids, can we teach one another that it's okay to wait, that you don't have to have the iPhone 10 as soon as it comes out, right? <laughs> is it all right for us to teach them that that is maybe not needful? It is urgent, but it is not needful. And we're going to live as people who are uh, functioning as those who understand what is needful for our lives. Urgent is instant gratification. I see it, I want it, gotta have it. In every area of life, the lessons that we are teaching and passing on to our children are going to be lived out in front of our eyes. We're going to see them. If we are living as people who, who have to have instant gratification, who have to have everything uh, right now, who have to have all that we feel is, is urgent, taken care of, resolved uh, you know, for, to, to our satisfaction, then we are going to see that in our children as they grow up. We're going to see them demand that they're, they're, there's instant gratification for everything that goes on. And I think we are, as a society, seeing that by and large, that there is a cry for, for instant gratification instead of delayed gratification. The second one is uh, integrity of character. We are to model that and to teach that it is so important. We raised our kids to, to understand what uh, good character was. We applauded in them, not just, hey, you look beautiful today, but thank you for being honest. Thank you for being kind. You did something there, you know, uh, even uh, not, not too many years ago, my son um, and I were, uh, th these kind of things, we would, as an example of how, what we would applaud. Uh, we were going to Home Depot. I, I think he was probably sophomore, junior in, in, in high school. And we had, we, were, we had a list of things that we had to pick up at Home Depot. And, and so we had gone in, purchased our stuff, we're coming back to the car, and he sees uh, a woman struggling. I didn't see it. He, see, he sees a woman struggling to uh, put things in the car. I think I was too focused on the cart and things like that. And he runs over and he starts assisting and, and helping her and, and putting things in the car. And she's so grateful and thankful because there's no way that all this heavy stuff that she bought to put in her yard, she could have possibly got this in her car by herself. And so when he comes back to the car, you know, and I'm finished loading things up in our car, I'm applauding him for that. I'm saying, that's, that's so great. That's exactly who we need to be and what we need to do. The fact that you recognize there was a need in front of you. Calling out character in our kids and not just calling out talents or abilities, which uh, is it, it, we're living in a generation and the urgent side of that is, oh, you know, you, you're so good at this and you're so good at that. Well, and they begin to believe that they're not responsible for anything, that their gifts and, and their talents can get them through everything. You're a gifted athlete. You don't have to really study or prepare or learn anything because your talent and gifts are going to take you all kinds of places. You're a gifted singer. You're, you're a gift, you know, a gifted uh, person in, in terms of your, your looks and, and, and uh, basic skills and talents and gifts and things like that. And, and when we begin to push those things up, we're, we're feeding into the urgent and we're not talking about the needful. You need to be a person of high character. You need to tell the truth. You need to be honest. The needful is, it raises the value of humility. 
That that is the way that we function uh, with one another most effectively and, and certainly with God. There's a sense of humility. I, I see it all the time, uh, you know, interacting in social media that uh, I have a number of people, since I have a pastor's page, that are, you know, that uh, are following me, that are uh, posting things that are not Christian, that are about, you know, or why they're not Christian. And uh, they would post different kinds of memes and things. You know, there was uh, one I saw not too terribly long ago, but uh, it's, you've seen them too. Things that would just say, you know, why why should I believe? It's foolishness, you know, 2,000 year old book and all this, this other kinds of stuff. There's, there's, you know, when I look at that, there's, there's, I'm, I'm thinking, how can you have such a lack of humility in the presence of creation? Let's forget you know, whether or not you believe the book and you believe everything that's in here, how can you walk out under the sun that shines on the planet, tilted axis, and we have uh, seasons and we're rotating, we're, we're zooming through the universe at hundreds of millions of miles an hour. Man cannot create a vehicle that goes as fast as the planet goes, and we're still we're standing here still firm, not, not like we're in this, this ride at Disneyland that's, you know, and we're all getting sick at our stomach. How can you not have humility in the presence of creation? Forget everything else. How can you just walk out and look at a rose and not have a sense of humility about your place on the planet? And yet, the urgent says, my rights are more important than humility. I got to have certain things, and I, I have, you know, my rights are bigger than humility. The needful says, live a life that's responsible. Live a, live a life of responsibility. Understand that you're responsible and, and you're caretakers of the planet that God has given you. Live a life that, that reflects that and that shows that. Live a life that shows that you're responsible human being in in terms of you have a responsibility to love and to share what the blessings that God has given into your life. That's what the needful says, but the urgent says, you know, my title is more most important. Who, who, Who I am in society and what they call me, and I need to keep upgrading that. It's more important. The challenge is we must learn how to walk in agreement. And that is easier when we are functioning as those that are uh, understand what the needful is and not those who are pressed by the urgent. We must speak with one voice as it comes to establishing the values that we talked about last week in our home. We must speak with one voice as it comes to discipline in our household and what we will go to the mat for and what we will not go to the mat for. Everything is, is not punishable by death. You know, there are, <laughs> we, we have to decide based on biblical essentials where we're going to the mat. We've had to do this as parents. There have been times that we thought, uh, you know, we would lose a child because uh, they were making a decision that was against what God wanted for their life. And, and we had to, to say, this is where we're going to the mat. We're not making any exceptions. If you walk out that door, you walk away from your family. You walk away from, from your future. And, and, and you're walking into an eternity unprepared with God. And we don't want that for your life. We must speak with one voice when it comes to living out Christianity. The passage that we just read a moment ago, the the people said to Joshua, we will serve. 
the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day in Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and the regulations of the Lord. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of instructions as a reminder of their agreement. And he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. When we have conflicts as parents, it's often a reflection of deeper issues in our own lives that God is calling us to examine. Disagreement in most homes, disagreements in most church families are centered around some deeper issues in their life that have been left unresolved. Sometimes it's repressed memories. Something that happened, something someone said, flashed back a memory of a, a, a bad experience in your past, of a difficult time in your past, maybe even a positive experience, something, something that happened and uh, it, it led to a particular kind of thing of enthusiasm and enjoyment or whatever. It might have been outside the counsel of the Lord, but it's a, it was a memory of, hey, you know, that's, that was fun. That was, you know, we should let them explore and enjoy things. But some kind of repressed memory, sometimes that's the issue. Disagreement will center around just a word triggered a repressed memory. And now there's an argument. We should let them. We should not let them. Sometimes it's fear of, of losing control. I'm in control of this family. I'm in charge of this family. And if I let, uh, you know, someone else have a voice in this family, then I lose control. I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. I hate to disappoint you, but you're not in control and you're not in charge. You never have been and you never will be. We have to trust God and put him in control and put him in charge. Sometimes it's out of anger. Last time you won the argument. So this time I'm going to win the argument. Even though I think what you're saying is right, um, we're not going there. This time I'm going to win. You're going to see what it's like to be a loser. Right? And we have to make a decision, a hard question for parents. Do we want to raise what we consider good children or do we want to raise godly children? Do we want God's very best for our family and for our lives, or do we want just what we would consider to be good and okay and, and, and acceptable? Are we willing to go to the mat and fight the hard battle? Our goals for our children must go far beyond what we can do in our own strength, which only feeds into our pride. We must train our children to trust the Lord with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength, to walk with him and put him first. There are many voices that are speaking into parents' lives. But the majority of them are not necessarily speaking God's purposes into your life. Be careful that you tune in the voices that are talking about God's purpose for you and for your family. God's highest order and calling for you and your family. We are called by God to train up our children to live morally in an immoral world. What greater challenge can there possibly be? 
It is a task that's too big for us alone. And as we opened up in prayer, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to invite him on a daily basis to help us. God, this job is too big for me as a parent to try to teach my children to live uh, morally, to live right standing with you in righteousness in an immoral and unrighteous world. It's, it's, it's near impossible. I can't do it, God, alone. I need the Holy Spirit. Can you send the Holy Spirit to help me? That when I speak to my children, they'll see you speaking through me and, and they will be charged as they're walking through their daily life by the Holy Spirit and convicted to live the way you've called them to live. And the second great gift God has given us is this family right here, this church family. And the church is even bigger than who we are right here. I mean, across the nation, God has people that belong to his family. And we're praying, God, extend the arms of your family around our children. That wherever they go, when they go off to college, that there are arms that reach out to them and love them from the family of God. That there are hearts that care about them and, and, and will, will cherish them and love them like you love them. And the family of God has been so integral in the raising of our children. We're so grateful that we have raised them up in the house of God. It's been so powerful to have that support system and that structure system that honors what God says and tells them the same thing that mom and dad have been telling them all week long. When they get together with them and they love on them, they tell them and say the same things and pray over them over the course of the week. What a blessing to have God's family. God wants us to think in terms of generations. We have to stop thinking in terms of just right now and what's going on. God wants us to be generational thinkers. We're not only to think about our children, but the Bible tells us to think about our children's children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 2, God's admonition early on was, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes of his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. You, your son, and your grandson reflect three generations. God wants us thinking three generations. The generation that we are in, the generation that we are parenting, and the generation that's coming behind them, their children, that we will grandparent. The fear of the Lord is the, conscience presence, uh, the conscious presence of God, which influences our lives. And he's challenging us to live in light of that, to live in light of that, that fear and that respect. Many people live their lives with, with, as if God has nothing to say on a day-to-day -day basis about much of what goes on in their life. That's just little things that aren't, aren't important. And, and we raised our kids to know that, that whatever is happening in our household is important to God. Little, big, whatever. It's, it's all important to God. He cares about every minute on the planet. Joshua chapter 24, uh, 19 through 20, the earlier passage that we did not read for our text. Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions for your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. 
This was Joshua's warning. Joshua here is speaking to, at the end of his life, to this, his parting words to the generation that he helped bring into the promised land that God uh, had given them. And Joshua was speaking out of the wisdom of his experience already. Being raised up as, as kind of mentored by Moses and watching a whole generation turn their back on God and refuse to cross over into the promised land and die off. From a young child, he watched this happen with a generation who God had delivered out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, and was bringing them to a land that God had promised them, and he watched them die without God. And he brings people over to the, to the, to the river at, at the Jordan and he says to them before they cross over, you better make a decision right now, but it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. God's going to divide the waters. We're going over to take the land that God's taken us. A younger Joshua said that. They went across. They began to conquer city after city. And, and there, was, there were some failures early on as the people were stretching out and learning to trust God and believe God, the, the sin of Achan, and, and, uh, but God forgave and God helped them conquer and get a place in the land. And now Joshua's standing at the end of his life and he's seeing the signs that he had seen before of that generation who began to kind of live religiously. It's like, yeah, you need to be nice to Joshua. He's, you know... He talks to God and, you know, you need to, to, you know, we need to go to church, you know. I know, you know, it's, we got, we got soccer later on. We've got some other things going on, but, you know, we should honor our elders and we should, it, it became a completely different thing from the original generation who said, I saw God bring us out of Egypt and slavery and I saw God part the Red Sea and bring it together over our enemies. And we laid up an altar to remind ourselves of what God had done. And, we're, and I want to tell you, son, that is the God that delivered us. Look at those 12 stones. That represents all of the nations of Israel that God brought across the Red Sea and, and God brought into safety and out of Egyptian slavery. And in those waters, God covered his enemies over. It's a fearful thing, Paul said, to fall into the hands of a living God. Son, daughter, we are going to serve God. He takes care of us. He watches over us. When we were hungry, he gave us manna. When we were thirsty, he brought water from the rock. And he watched that deteriorate over time to where people said, where is God? Oh, I remember when we were back in Egypt, we had onions. Remember when we had onions to cut up? Oh, the smell of onions. That was so great. Remember when you had bricks to make with no straw? Remember when you were kicked around and you were slaves? Remember when they, they rode through the camp and, and just killed people just for the sake of killing them as an example so that you would work harder and do more. Do you remember any of that? No, they became a religious generation. Oh, There's things to do. Okay, we'll go to church. Agreement requires more than words. It takes commitment and it takes sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the pattern of generations just what I talked about a moment ago. 
put that slide up. Here's what happened. First generation was passionate about Jesus. Fear of God and his commands. Inward desires shaped. God was important. Community and life was built around God first. Second generation was a polite generation. Somewhat go by God's command, but also conform to if it's convenient, if it works out. Church is having a prayer meeting. I know, it's so far down there and it's hot today. It's hot. Uh, conforming. Like just, this is just not important. This living this thing out is just not that important. We have a family Bible. It just it sits on the table. We don't have family altar. We don't talk about all the things that are in the book and stuff like that. But if you get a chance, I threw a Bible on your bed. Read it. It's a good thing. And moving from the second generation to the third generation was perverted. They leave God. They reject God. They raise up their own idols, things that are important to them. Whatever grandpa said is ancient and unimportant. And mom and dad made some stupid rules. We're not going to live that way. We're going to live differently. And it happened over and over and over again. And that's why God said, you have to live generationally. We are one generation away from an empty building right here. We are one generation away from a bankrupt mission. We are one generation away from lost heritage in Christ if we don't start thinking generationally. How can we make an impact in our own lives, in our children's lives, and in our grandchildren's lives? Joshua was at the end of his life. He challenged the people again to a commitment as he had at the beginning of, it, of their coming across Jordan and into the promised land. He tells them, you can't do it. I've been watching you. You're becoming the polite religious generation. You can't do this. And they go, oh no, we can do this. We will serve the Lord. And so he says, you know what? I am going to write this down. We're going to make an altar. And every time you walk past here on the marketplace, I believe it was in a very prominent place where, God, where, where Joshua set this up for them, that every single one of them at some part of their day was going to walk by this tree and, and, this, and this rock was going to be the reminder. You said God was first. You said you were going to worship him alone. You said he was the most important thing in your life. And over time, probably people begin to try to take a different pathway to the marketplace. Because they didn't want to pass the rock, they didn't want to be reminded. And then it, as time passed and went a little further, people forgot what the rock was and, and what the history of it was. A young child walking by with her parent, holding their hand, and a parent going, why is that big rock by that tree? I don't know, it's kind of weird, isn't it? I don't remember, something happened. In the past, some guys brought that over and set it down. I don't know. Let's go. We gotta go buy some groceries. Joshua said you can't do it unless you're all in. Yes. Yes. You have to be all in. God is calling for you to give your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, your all of your energy, all of you, 
Not 99.9, but all of you has to be in. And you have to be thinking generationally. His speech was his last words to that final generation that he would see. Exhorting them to turn back and wholeheartedly accept God. I invite our worship team to come. And I want to invite you to renew a commitment with God. 100% commitment with God this morning. I want to ask you to stand with me. 100% commitment to reorder the priorities of your life, to think generationally. What will the church look like in the second generation, in the third generation? Are we prepared as a church? Are we ready for the second generation and the third generation? Are we equipped? Do we have teachers to teach our children? And do we have places for our grandchildren to remember the lessons of God and the things that are important? Are we walking them out ourselves? Are we living in that kind of a committed relationship? We need first look inside our own lives. We can't make God first in our families if we haven't made him first in our life. As a parent, as we can't make him first in our church family if we haven't made him first in our life as an individual gathered here in his name to worship him, to love him. And so we're going to do something this morning. I'm going to invite you to come and to, to make a 100% commitment to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to start afresh and anew today. I want a new beginning for me, my household. I want a new beginning for me and for the succeeding generations that I'm going to have influence over, that I'm going to meet and talk to. I want, to, I want to put you first in my life. And once we've had time to do this and have a kind of a consecration and a renewal with God, then we're going to receive communion together as a symbol that, God, we've locked in. Yes. You are number one. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. We're breaking bread together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're saying this is our commitment. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for each one of us, and it is our commitment that we will share that with the nations of the world that you have placed around us, around our household, around our church, around our workplace, around our schools. And so will you just come this morning, gather around. God, today's the first day of the rest of our lives, a renewed commitment we're going to make right here. We're establishing on these grounds, Lord, that we are going to be people who think generationally, who live our lives thinking in terms of the generations to come, not just the moment right now. Father, I'm praying over families and over households and over children and over schools and God, over our city and over our, our community that's around us, God. Pour out your spirit, Lord, in such a powerful way. Lord, start with us. The work has to begin in us, so start in me. Start right here, Lord, afresh and anew. 
Let it begin to burn and, and blaze inside of me, Lord, a passion for Jesus Christ that will ignite others who come in contact with me, that the sparks will fly out and the parched souls will, will take flames, Lord, as, as, as we begin to live out a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. Just take a moment to surrender however you want to do that. Raise your hands. Just worship Him. Just call out to Him. God, we make this our altar, a place of surrender. The terebinth tree, we're putting down the stone. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our might, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, Lord. We will put You first. And we will think generationally, Lord. We will think about our sons and our daughters and our grandsons and our granddaughters. That's our influence for our lifetime, Lord. If you bless us to have a longer life than that, it's a blessing from you, but our influence is those three generations. And so God help us to live it out in front of them, to be passionate about Jesus. To love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, Lord. Yes. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. I want to ask our ushers to gather that represents the body and the blood of the Lord. Jesus, we love you. We love you so much. Thank you for it. I was thinking through that song that we sung earlier and such powerful words in it, you know, that um, so will I if, you know, you're the one that loves the one that was left behind. And there's a, there's a verse in there that said, talked about God fashioning the hill that he would sacrifice his son. And I just, just struck me. I just thought God made the hill that they would put the cross in to take the life of his son. God fashioned it. What must have been in the heart of God as he's shaping that part of the landscape on the planet Earth. The Holy Spirit is moving over the, the planet and God's fashioning the place his son will die. It's hard to think and get your mind around. I can't even imagine if I had had some kind of foreknowledge about the death of my son or my daughter and I would go in and shape the place where they would die. Did God put an extra attention to that place? How did he fashion it to be a place that would be despised or a place that would be cherished and loved? Did something grow on that mountain of life? before they brought the son beaten to where he couldn't be recognized. And they laid down that rugged cross on the hill that God fashioned. You cannot serve the Lord, Joshua said. He's a jealous God. He wants all or nothing. Yes, yes, yes. And I believe that people in that day really were honest in saying we will serve the Lord as we are today. 
But something happened in succeeding generations after that. The passion began to die down. A sense of religiosity began to carry on. They stopped contending for the faith that Jude talked about. This is a needful thing. Contend for the faith. Raise it up. We're talking about eternity. This life is so short on the scheme of things. You have to tell people there's something beyond this life. God fashioned the mountain on which his son would die. And he loved you in every moment of that, saying, I know as I'm fashioning this, Adam's not going to make it. I love Adam, I love Eve, even before I've created them, but they're not going to make it. I love Abraham. Abraham's going to bring his son up on this mountain. And I'm not going to take his son. I'm going to give him mine. I'll provide a sacrifice. I love Abraham and I love Isaac. But they're not the sacrifice. And as he looked at his son, he said, you're the sacrifice. You're the one. Jesus knew all his life that he was going to that mountain that God made, that his father made, and there to lay down his life for us. Jesus, we thank you. This that represents your body, we thank you, Lord. The sacrifice that you made, how can we offer anything less? How is it possible, Lord, that we could possibly offer something less than what you've offered. Thank you for fashioning that hill. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for forgiveness. God, we thank you. And as we receive that, it represents the body of the Lord Jesus. We renew our commitment to you with all of our heart. With all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, we will serve the Lord in Jesus' name. Receive that which represents the body of the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the blood that was shed, that was spilled on that mountain that you formed. Your son's sacrifice, sinless life, given up for us. We are so grateful. And as we remember that, we renew our commitment that you have all of us, 100%. We are members of the family of God and the blood that flows through the family of God flows through us. We are 100% in, Lord. Thank you for your shed blood. We receive it in Jesus' name.